This time of year, tabletops, lobbies, and offices are adorned with the rich red velvety leaves of the unofficial Christmas flower, the poinsettia. A shrub, not a flower, this tiding of good cheer hits its peak colorfulness in late November through mid-December in the United States, thanks to some greenhouse breeders who know how to keep the tropical plant happy. One of them is Dr. Brian Jackson, professor of horticultural science, who is responsible for some 29 varieties and roughly 800 plants in the NC State greenhouse on campus. His particular focus is soil research and how to get the plants what they need while making their soil more sustainable and more economical for breeders across the United States. Today on Farms, Food, and You, we'll chat with Jackson and discover that this horticultural harbinger of the holiday season has a surprising history and a colorful future ahead of it. And he'll set the record straight about a prevailing poinsettia myth that drives him and other breeders bonkers. The two- to three-foot-tall poinsettia plants we're used to putting on display aren't quite the same as the poinsettias that grow in the wild. Native to Central America, poinsettias are woody plants that look a little different, both in size and shape. The first poinsettia that I saw growing naturally was actually uh, in in, in Mexico, uh, in Oaxaca, but I've also seen it in Peru, uh, hiking the Machu Picchu Trail in, in Machu Picchu. Um, there's 15, 12, 15 foot tall poinsettias that, that look nothing like they do today, except the, the flower structures themselves uh, are very, you, you would recognize it from its flower, but the overall plant itself is, you know, 12 foot tree. <laughs> the Aztecs cultivated them in gardens, utilizing the leaves to make red and purple dyes, and extracted white sap from the plants for use in medicines. Local legends in Taxco, Mexico, say that the plant was gathered as an offering for newborn Jesus and came to be called La Flor de Nochebuena, meaning the Christmas Eve flower. So how did this tropical plant make it to North America, and why is it so much smaller than the original native plants? The 1800s, they were first discovered, um, at least by, uh, by Americans, by the U.S. Amba- ambassador to Mexico. And they found their way into the United States market. That U.S. ambassador's name? The plant's namesake, Joel Roberts Poinsett. But it wasn't Poinsett who made them a household holiday tradition. And um, it was a family, Paul Ecke, out of uh, California, who first began to collect some of these specimens from Mexico and bring them to the United States to his farm in California. And it was the uh, Paul Ecke Ranch in California that developed the techniques and technologies that allowed poinsettias, which are naturally uh, small trees in the landscape, in the natural environment in Mexico, he discovered or they discovered how to shrink them in size, uh, not being too generic there, but how to make them smaller so that they are actually potted crops. So, and then... Over the next, over the last 75, 80 years, they've developed into the, uh, uh, the varieties that we have today. Breeding trials at various universities across the country helped to create and evaluate new varieties, new colors, and how they perform in the market. As a result, poinsettias have flourished and developed a booming industry that results in $250 million to the U.S. economy in a span of six weeks each November and December. Beyond the traditional red and white varieties, poinsettias now come in a variety of colors. Pink, salmon, maroon, yellow. 
and a new variety named Autumn Leaves, where the colors are peach, yellow, and orange, and bloom closer to Halloween. Jackson's research program is helping to ensure that greenhouse growers can continue to produce healthy plants, new varieties and colors, while reducing the cost of the soils. My involvement with poinsettias started about 10 years ago. Uh, One, I I love the crop. I, I love the plant, but it's also one of the most important, economically speaking, uh, floral crops that is grown because of its popularity during, of course, the, the, the Christmas season. So this is the 10th year that I have incorporated poinsettia trials into my research program with the specific emphasis on their performance and growth efficiencies in different soil media uh, types that growers are using or are wanting to use to grow their crops. So for 10 years, it's been a partnership with some of the soil companies in the United States that offer soil products for greenhouse growers to purchase, to grow their plants. So we're looking at a lot of different uh, components to these soil mixes, as well as uh, different fertility regimes and how the fertilizers and the soil affect uh, the growth of the poinsettia. And one of the reasons, in addition to my interest in poinsettia as a crop, poinsettias are very responsive to soil conditions that they do not like. So, for example, uh, we we refer to them as model plants in that we we plant them and, and if they are not happy, with the soil pH or the soil fertility or the water, new, uh, the water air balance, then they will tell you. And by telling you, they, they, I mean that, that they will not grow optimally. So they're really good indicator plants for, for the soils that we're growing them in. So, so it, among other species, are crops that we grow every year to test our new uh, engineered soils that we're developing here in our lab. And, um, and then the plants kind of speak for themselves as to, you know, how, they're, how they like the soil they're growing in. With the poinsettias as his guide, Jackson is working on new combinations in soil to replace peat moss, one of the most effective soil media that also happens to be one of the most expensive. Moss has been the, the substrate or the soil component most used in the past 70, 80 years. And there is a growing interest in reducing the use of peat moss in horticultural production and to find other materials that can perform equally as well that maybe do not have the carbon footprint that peat does or that new com- or new components that can be grown or, 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 or made locally and not shipped in from another country, which peat moss is. So we are evaluating a lot of new materials uh, to supplement or to as alternatives to peat moss. And the challenge with that is, is peat moss is an excellent growing media and it, it, it's almost superior in many ways. But when we look at new alternatives, we have to investigate um, all the things that could be different than peat moss. So the pH or how nutrients behave and how, how the plant responds to that. So we do a lot of it. The, the primary emphasis is on developing new growing media. Um, and, and, and trying to optimize those new growing media to perform as well as peat moss has.
it, it changes by by year by year, depending on because um, because within the varieties of poinsettias, they all do not perform the same. The two primary points of emphasis that 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 my lab currently is 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 focusing on is the the understanding of how to utilize uh, uh, engineered wood fiber, which is very prevalent in North Carolina, and we're able to create and literally make substrate products here in state that can be used for growing poinsettia as well as most any other crop. So I think the the confidence that we're getting in developing these new engineered substrates um, is 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 really uh, having a great impact on the on the on, on, on growers and on the economy. Um, I also would say that the the overall emphasis in in water management and trying to extend the post harvest shelf life of poinsettias as it relates to water management and keeping them from drying out so quickly. Um, I'm really excited about some of these things, which have implications not only for growers in our state and beyond. Uh, growing these plants, but also for the consumer uh, who are getting these plants at home and uh, hopefully extending the period of time that they get to enjoy them. The result? Beautiful, healthy poinsettias, a reduced growing cost, and an immediate impact on the North Carolina market. One of the largest greenhouse operations in North America is located just north of Charlotte in Huntersville, North Carolina, uh, Metrolina Greenhouse. And Metrolina Greenhouse is the largest single structured greenhouse in North America. And when you walk in, it's a 200 acre greenhouse. So you you cannot see the other end. The earth tilts before you see the other end of this. It's phenomenal. And they grow millions of poinsettias every autumn. And what's what the, the, the contributions that some of our research has had is that they now are growing their poinsettias in a lot of peat alternative soil media that in the last three to, well, four to five years have saved them substantial amounts of money while also being proactive relative to using more sustainable growing media components. So what I think the, the work from, from our lab has helped contribute to not just that greenhouse, but also all other growers, is giving them the data and the confidence to switch the growing media types that they're using, but still be able to to grow crops at the high level of performance and quality that they are used to growing in their traditional all-peat mixes. And it is extraordinarily rewarding when when a, a research program like mine uh, in, in soilless substrates and soilless growing of, of various horticultural crops, that the, the data and the innovations that we're able to contribute to are have immediate impact on growers and the industry. And it can sometimes be as immediate as the following year when we publish work or that we have findings that, are, that we're confident in the industry adopts those changes almost instantaneously. And that is a, a very encouraging thing for an applied research program, like many others across the college, that um, aren't just contributing to the broader body of science, but have immediate economic and environmental and, 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 and even human impacts uh, on our industry. So that's, that's very exciting for us.
So what happens to all those poinsettias left over from Jackson's trials? You'll see them around NC State campus and in the homes and offices of Jackson's colleagues. And he wants to set the record straight on a prolific poinsettia myth. Help strike down the notion that poinsettias are poisonous uh, to plants and to children or or humans. and, And the answer is no, they are not. They are not poisonous. But of course, it's never advisable for a, a pet to eat a plant, but they are, they are not poisonous. So spread the word. Your pets and children are probably more likely to hurt a poinsettia than a poinsettia is to hurt them. But still, keep both from eating your holiday plant. When you pick up your poinsettias this year, or a friend gifts one on your front step, think a little about this beautiful plant's history and the applied research that keeps it healthy and happy during the season. Thank you for joining us on Farms, Food, and You. This podcast is a product of NC State Extension and the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences at North Carolina State University. If you would like to support the show, please share this episode on social media and leave a review on your podcasting app of choice. We'd love to hear from you. Let's talk soon.